This episode is brought to you by my free What's Working Guide. If you want to download some tips on what is working right now in 2022 from both myself and other real-life indoor playground owners who are currently working to launch or grow their business, head to michellecaruana.com slash what's working, or simply click the link in the show notes or episode description. You'll get the free tips delivered right to your inbox. Download my What's Working Guide right now. If you own or manage an indoor play center or really any business that serves local kids and families, and you want to operate with more ease and joy all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for small but mighty tips every weekday that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play-based business. So over the last couple episodes, I've been talking all things events. So I talked about how and when to schedule events. I talked about how to promote events really effectively to ensure all of your events get booked out. And in this episode, I'm going to kind of continue with that trend. So in this episode, I'm going to give you some tips about how to execute your events. And you might be thinking, well, how does this impact my profitability? Well, something that our events always relied on was repeat customers and also good word of mouth and social media engagement. So the better experience that our customers have at our events, the more likely they are to book repeat events, the more likely they are to recommend our events to a friend, and the more likely likely they are to post positive experiences and pictures and things like that on social media who then help us reach new customers. So again, event execution and the customer experience is really key to making sure your event calendar books out. Something that I've seen is that it's really easy for play spaces to book out their first couple events because everybody is really excited about something new and maybe it's a new space they haven't checked out yet. But Over time, if those people don't have good experiences, that customer base really flounders and that business has trouble booking future events. So I have definitely seen that early interest isn't necessarily an indication of a sustainable event revenue stream. So in this episode, like I said, I'm going to share some tips about how to execute events with the customer experience in mind. Now, all of this is going to be especially true for businesses that host events for younger children. So I'm talking about like under school age, but all of these tips are also applicable to the older age group. So even if your business caters to a little bit, um, kids a little bit on the older side, still listen to this episode. Now, one theme that is going to kind of reverberate throughout this entire episode is that communication with your customers before, during, and after the event is absolutely crucial. So if you take one thing away from this episode, it is to not overlook anything when it comes to events. Because a lot of times, especially if somebody is paying a premium ticket price for an event, that parent wants to know exactly what to expect so that they can get the most out of their experience and so that there are no surprises. Because something that parents of young children do not like is surprises. So that's one central theme, and that's 
one thing that I want you to take away from this. So they want to be told what their children should wear if there are any specific requirements. So they want to know if they should bring socks or if your play area is socks only. They want to know if they're going to get messy during the event so they can plan accordingly or pack an extra change of clothes. They're going to want to know what the event timeline is. They're going to want to know exactly what is included and exactly how the event is going to be run, how long it's going to be, what the sequence of events are so that they can plan accordingly. Again, so that there are no surprises and so that you can then point to all of that communication, whether it's in a Facebook event or whether you communicate via email. It's always best to have all of that documented and written and make sure that you communicate it multiple times. So you should be communicating all of these things, all of your event details, not just the event overview and the event description. You should get as detailed as humanly possible. It should be in the confirmation email when they book an event. It should be in the event description on your website, on your event booking page, so that people can make a more educated decision about if they're actually going to enjoy the event or not, because you do not want to be vague and attract the wrong people because they're not going to have a good experience and they're going to complain, they're going to bring down morale, and they're probably going to have not nice things to say after the event. And let me tell you, from experience, one or two negative families who are just not enjoying the event really bring down the entire mood and affect everyone's experience. So a good way to avoid that is, again, to be as specific as possible leading up to the event. So again, in the event description, in the confirmation email when somebody books the event, and then you should be sending several follow-up emails letting them know, again, exactly what their kids should be wearing, exactly what the timeline of events is, exactly what to expect. And also make sure if you're going to be closing the play area at any point, if there is going to be food or drink available for purchase, if there isn't, if there's going to be food served or food out or food included in the event, all of these things people need to know. So again, if there's one thing you take away from this episode is make sure you communicate way more than you think you have to. All right, now that I'm off my soapbox about communication, can you tell I've kind of gone through this before? So now that I'm off of my soapbox, my first tip is to limit your events to between 90 minutes to two hours for any in-person event. Now, this might seem short, especially if you're charging $20 to $50 for an event, but I'm telling you it is more than enough because this way, if your event is two hours or less, Kids will leave before they get too tired or too overstimulated and start having meltdowns because nothing leaves a bad taste in someone's mouth more than 100 screaming kids or even 10 screaming kids on the way out of an event. So two hours keeps everyone's mood a little more upbeat and it, again, helps avoid a lot of those meltdowns that happen in play spaces when kids stay for too long, again, especially those younger kids. Now, even if your event is geared towards older children, I still love that two-hour time slot because shorter event times will be easier to manage for families and it will be easier to accommodate your event inside of their busy schedule. So as my kids get older, my older son is actually turning seven today as I'm recording this and my younger son is five, it seems like every single weekend we have birthday parties or sports or tutoring or some sort of activity going on. So if an event is longer than two hours, I honestly don't even look at it because I know that it's just not going to fit into our schedule. And I know it's just going to be too overwhelming on an already likely 
very busy day. So I love 90 minutes to two hours for an event. And it also allows you to schedule multiple time slots for that event to really make the most out of your supplies and get the most out of the staff that you have scheduled. And everyone is just happier. So that is how I like to plan my event timing. Now, my second big tip is to have whatever cornerstone activity that you're using to promote your event, whether that's an egg hunt or whether that's a craft or whatever the big activity is, that's kind of that cornerstone of your event, the big ticket item, so to speak, make that be first. Don't make it the finale or anything like that. And a lot of people are probably thinking, well, I don't really get that. Why would it be first? What if people show up late? Well, I'm going to tell you exactly why. And again, this is all based on not just my experience, but a lot of business owners that I've worked with as well. So having that big activity be first will, number one, encourage people to be on time, which you absolutely want. If your event is only 90 minutes to two hours, you want to give people a reason to be on time. So again, make sure if you are taking advantage of this tip, make sure that you very clearly communicate that, hey, if you show up 10 minutes late, that's 10 minutes of the big ticket activity or the cornerstone activity that you're missing. So if it's an egg hunt or something like that, it's really going to motivate people to be on time and it will be easier for your staff to deal with. It will help people get the most out of their experience and that's exactly what we want. Tip number two, it will ensure all of the kids are at their quote unquote freshest. So if you let kids play first, there could be meltdowns, there could be kids needing to eat, there could be kids you know, needing to use the bathroom. If you do your big activity first, it tells parents, okay, you should bring your child fed. They should have just gone to the bathroom. They should be ready to participate. And it really helps prevent those meltdowns that can happen if the kids are playing for too long or around other, you know, very energetic kids for too long. So it makes sure that the kids are at their freshest and are most able to focus on an actual activity. And if it's pictures, if that's your big cornerstone activity, it will make sure that they are nice and dressed up and that they didn't ruin their outfits while playing or anything like that. And then number three, it will help parents to relax for the remainder of the event. So let's say, for example, again, we're doing an Easter egg hunt. If you get the Easter egg hunt out of the way at first, that will, again, make sure that everybody gets the absolute most out of their experience because kids are at their freshest, like I said. And once you get it out of the way, parents can be like, okay, Now, if you want a snack, we can go ahead and do that. If you want to do something different, we can do that. If we have to leave early because of a blowout or because of a meltdown or because something comes up, they can relax a little bit knowing that, okay, we already got what we came for. Everything else is just kind of icing on the cake. So that's another reason I like to do the big activity first. And something that I like to do is I allow parents to add drinks and pre-order it so that all of those drinks and things like that are ready by the time event the event starts. And then, so when they check in, we hand them their drink, they do the big activity. And while the kids are doing the egg hunt or while the kids are doing the activity, the parents can kind of take a step back and sip their drink and really enjoy it before the kids start playing and they need to supervise a little bit more because our big ticket activities are generally staff-led. So parents participate and supervise, but that's the perfect time for them to enjoy a nice little latte. So I allow parents when they purchase their event ticket to add coffee and drink items and that not only ups the experience level for them, but it also ups our profit for every single event ticket that we sell. Because as you know, if you follow this podcast, cafe items are very high profit margin. 
All right. The next reason that I like to do that big activity first is if there is a messy element. So if it's painting or if it's a craft, doing that activity first will leave the craft or painting time to dry or set before the family has to take that craft or activity in their car on the way home. So again, this is another tip where communication is really key. So if it's a holiday event and they're going to be painting Christmas trees, but there's also going to be a photographer there. If the craft is a main activity, I would still do it first, but I would be sure to clearly communicate that. So if the parents want to bring their nice clothes as a change of clothes, or if they want to throw a t-shirt or a smock on their child so that they don't mess their clothes up before the photographer, I would make sure I communicate how the order of events is going so that parents can plan ahead. The next reason I like to do that big activity first is that it gives staff more control of mess. So for example, if all of the kids are sitting down and doing the activity at one time, it's much easier for the staff to say, okay, before anyone enters a play area, every single child needs to wash their hands. So if the craft is just out and available for kids to do at any given time, it's really hard for the staff to police if parents are properly washing the kids' hands or if every single set of hands gets wiped before entering the play area. So that's why I like to do the activity all together, all at once. And again, a lot of times business owners think it's easier for parents if the activity is quote unquote at your own pace. But I promise you in my experience, it's much easier on both the parents and the staff and the kids if everyone does it at once. And honestly, parents love that it encourages focus and following directions and doing these activities alongside their peers. So if kids are getting ready for preschool or kindergarten, this is a great learning experience for them. And you can add that value in your event description to further entice people to book. And it also encourages, again, um, that kind of group aspect. And it allows you to take really cute pictures if everyone is sitting down and doing the event together. And it's just going to add to that socialization aspect and the whole getting ready for school thing. Now, I also allow kids to take materials home just in case. So there are two benefits to this. So let's say an emergency happens, and even though you did your best job of communicating possible, someone was still late and missed the activity. I always package up a couple a couple kits of supplies so that I can easily have a staff member hand a supply kit to that parent and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you missed this event, but hey, we packaged some materials up so that you can take the activity home and do it. And this benefits in two different ways. So not only can this be a really nice convenience if something pops up for that family or if their child just couldn't get out the door because we all have those days as parents, you can also use this to amplify your event sales. So when somebody is booking your event, you can give them the option to either attend the event in person or purchase an at-home kit. So you can actually use this to generate more sales. So if somebody really loves the activity that you're doing, whether it's a craft or whether it's an activity or whether you're making something really cool, if they just can't attend that day and cannot make it work or if they're still concerned about COVID or anything like that, you can sell them an at-home kit that they can then pick up and still get all of the benefits from that activity other than the socialization aspect at home. So again, this is a convenience thing and you can use it to increase your sales and profit. 
The next tip is that it allows you to take great pre-event pictures. So I already talked about the during event pictures, how cute it is to see all of the kids working really hard on an activity at once. But if you set it before everyone gets there, it also gives you a really nice opportunity to, to take pictures for your social media, for your future event pages, and also for your standard operating procedures so that you can show your staff exactly how every single event can be set up. The next reason that I love doing that big activity first, and I promise this is the last one, is that it allows you to clean up and reset for the next event a lot easier. And this is, again, something that I was forced to learn through experience. So when you set up and when you do that activity first, then a lot of people will say, well, I need to clean the play area too before the next event, right? I don't just need to clean up the messy part. I also need to clean up the play area. Well, here's a tip. You can still be cleaning the play area when the next event is getting started. So let's say it's a painting activity and you have the kids all do the painting activity first, then they wash their hands, then they go into the play area. Then at the conclusion of the event, everybody leaves the play area, every, everyone grabs their painting and everyone takes it home. A lot of people say, well, it's great that I can clean up the paint while kids are playing, but then I also have to clean up the play area. But here's the secret. If your staff member can clean up the messy activity and then reset for the next activity, it's okay for a staff member to still be cleaning up the play area because that next event is going to take at least 30 minutes doing that painting activity before they ever enter the play area. So just to give you a little example of how I would set an event like this up is that I would always have one person leading an activity and one person cleaning up or making drinks and helping people. So let's get into a scenario. Let's say person A sets up the activity and person B makes those pre-ordered drinks. Next, person B helps execute the activity while person A cleans the play area from the previous event. Next, person A cleans up the activity after it's over while person B helps customers. And then finally, at the conclusion of the event, person B cleans open play while person A helps customers book the next event, for example. So let's say that's the end of the day and the entire facility needs to be cleaned. Person B can clean open play and person A can help customers if, they, if there's some sort of incentive, like I talked about in a previous episode, if they want to go ahead and reserve a following event or a class or something like that. If you give people an incentive to book, they will. So person A can kind of help them get that taken care of. Now, again, this tip kind of, this next tip kind of piggybacks off of this last tip, but I always recommend having open play if that's part of your event be at the end, because again, you can always still be cleaning open play while the next event is getting started, as long as it's the same structure. And this way, if people need to go, it makes it more relaxed and they don't feel like they're missing out on anything because again, it's just open play. They can do that anytime they visit your facility. So if a child melts down or something comes up or they have an accident or something, they still feel like they got the full value of their ticket price and they're not going to ask for a refund or they're not going to complain or anything like that if you leave open play at the end. And this also makes it very uh, much easier to sell multiple time slots if you leave open play at the end, because again, it allows you to reset up and make your activity nice and appealing and organized for your next event without having to worry about open play. And then tip number four, I kind of alluded to this, but give a call to action at the end of the event. 
So again, going back to the person B cleaning up the event and person A helping customers book the next event, say, hey, if you want to book our next creative play or our next babies and brunch or our next painting activity or something like that, we have a $5 off coupon or we have early access for you today only. So give them an incentive to book while they're there. And again, either an early bird access because our holiday event sold out every single time. So we didn't necessarily need to offer a discount. If we just said, hey, we're giving you first choice of slots or we're giving you first access to this event, they will book while they're there if they had a good experience. Or if you don't typically sell out, then I would give a couple dollars discount to book their next event while they're in person. And you can set this up in your event booking software. All right, so that is how I like to execute my events for maximum profitability and customer experience. So your play of the day is to kind of audit your current event process. Are you making sure that you're maximizing the time slot? Could your customer experience be a little bit better? Could you be giving a better call to action at the end so that you're actually generating revenue, not just from that event that you're executing, but also from the next event that could be booked while they're in person. So kind of take these tips and go through an audit of your process and identify any areas where you could improve. Because again, it took me over five years to learn all of these tips and all of these tricks. So I want to help you kind of avoid the mistakes that I made and get to that perfect harmony in your event structure a lot faster. All right. I will see you guys right here tomorrow with another episode.